Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show every Friday. Um, we have a roundtable show where we discuss WordPress and the web in general, tech news in general, and we make a concoction of these different stories. And you can blame me totally for the poor quality. And so and the panel regularly does blame me for the poor quality of the stories that I select. But you just got to bear your woes, haven't you? So this is episode 342. And we've got a great panel, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? And certainly, my name is Sally Getch. I am the organizer of the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California, where John is going to be presenting in a couple of weeks. And uh, I build custom websites for businesses that are ready uh, to have their websites work for them and not against them. Sounds good. Good stuff to me. John, would you like to introduce yourself? Rightio. My name's John Locke, and my business is Lockdown Design and SEO. And as Sally said, I'm going to be uh, talking at the uh, meetup down in the East Bay in a few weeks on SEO. That's great. And Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Spencer Foreman from WP Launchify, where we help business owners who are looking to build profitable WordPress membership sites with marketing automation. Yeah, and I listened to your podcast with uh, another member of our panel who can't join us this Highly time. caffeinated. It's very highly caffeinated yeah. during that. Yes, yeah. um, Chris Badger and his Lifter LMS podcast. I think you did a great job there, Spencer. That was lost- cut- it was a good interview, about, but I want to say... I just want to say, this is like if you ever see, I don't do this, but if you ever see pictures or videos of yourself, let's say at a holiday party when you've had too much to drink, well, the, the synonym or, or kind of metaphor is me having an espresso before I talk to Chris Badgett about something that I really love talking about. It, it, it was like... So, yeah. You were going oh, at a wow. pace, but it was... I highly advise listeners to go and listen to it because it was packed with fantastic stuff um and i'm jonathan denwood i'm the uh on the host of this show and i'm i started wp tonic and we support learning management systems membership sites for entrepreneurs looking to build a course and the educational and non-profit market that's what we do um so let's get to story one WordPress accessibility team delivers sobering assessment of Gutenberg. We have to draw the line. So um, let's start with Sally. What did you think of this one, Sally? Uh, well, uh, I think as with this uh, this whole business, it's rather uh, disturbing. Uh, I think there's been a you know com- comparatively. A civilized uh, discussion about it in the comments uh, as these things go on WP Tavern, which is to say there are still some people basically telling each other you suck. Uh, and there are other people being more uh, reasoned. But, um, you know, <clears throat> the uh, accessibility team uh, and 
you know, is basically saying, hey, guys, this is not, this, this is not acceptable. This is much too uh, difficult. Um, and uh, so far, uh, Matt seems to be uh, resisting pushing back the launch date in order to take care of these problems. And, uh, you know, I don't know uh, what's going to actually happen. Um, and uh, so uh, I think, you know, the, uh, the drama continues and... Uh, you know, while on the one hand, it may seem like, oh, God, more petty WordPress squabbles. On the other hand, accessibility is a really serious issue. It's a really serious issue for many uh, users of WordPress who are in, uh, you know, government or education or, or healthcare and, and have to have the software accessible. Um, and I have a, a, a <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I really hope that eventually... Uh, they say, okay, you know, as as much as we wanted to launch this in time for uh, WordCamp US, you know, we're going to make the decision that lets us uh, fix at least the worst of these problems to, to get it to a minimum acceptable level and, uh, you know, push it out in early 2019. Yeah, well, Spencer, I'm going to put it to you. You know, obviously, uh, Matt Molenweg, you know, I was, he's, you know, he's a busy guy. He's, he's pretty busy at the present moment. What did you think of um, his response to this, in, in, you know, in the post that he put, put in? Okay, so at the risk of excommunication, which is always a risk when you bring up the reference to the one who shall not be named, I like the fact that Matt finally made a public statement in the comments where this discussion's going on. But the devil is always in the details. And I love the fact you can skip the whole beginning of the article. Just go read the comments because the comments are really well thought out and they're really civil, but they get to the whole everything. And this topic is exhausting me, like I keep saying every week, because just will it not be November or December, whenever this released it? Let's just get it over with and be done with it. So the drama's over. But here's what I take on it. First of all, it's clear that this is not a WordPress open source anymore. It is an automatic thing. That was the best comment of all. The difference between WordPress and Squarespace may have been that people thought Squarespace was easier in visual editor and everything. But Squarespace doesn't have a conflict of interest to pretend that when they say we'll do what we want to do when we want to do, it's because we're trying to make money for the parent company. Whereas WordPress was this free love granola, we built this organically, blah, blah, blah. And now it's turned into all you hippies over there, shut the heck up while we decide what we're going to do to you. So when this thing comes down, and again, I may be excommunicated after this, but I mean, hey, a CEO has got to be CEO, so I don't blame him for doing it. All the BS aside is we're going to see where the rubber hits the road. It's either going to come out and it's going to be a total big, pile of stinking poop or some miracle is going to happen and they're going to delay it and allow logic to kick in and just allow the, the community back into the process because no accessibility is a non-starter. That just seems so absurd to even begin to consider this and force it down people's throat. But the bigger thing I take away from this whole drama, I tried Gutenberg again. Gutenberg again. It's just not good enough to use. And Like the thing about 34 keystrokes to change a font. I mean, it's just 
conceptually a good idea, but it's just so rudimentary compared to just any other thing you can use for that purpose. Why kid ourselves? It's a kid's tricycle. It's not a, a Goldwing motorcycle you can cross the country on. So just let it live and grow as it grows. But why try to force it? Because all you're doing is forcing the it's not an organic community. It's not a bunch of hippies. It's not like open source. It's just automatic's going to jam this in. And we're going to see what I think is going to be some nice fireworks when that comes out. Or There, there are actually come- a lot of things I like about using Gutenberg better than using page builders. But um, I can use a mouse. So I don't have to worry about the 34 keystrokes. And, you know, it does not seem fair to me that... Uh, uh, you know, people should be sh- shut out of, of using something, um, you know, for no fault of their own. I mean, they can use, here's the thing. I just don't understand the business model reason why reverse the tables on the, this will be jammed down your throat, click a button to stop it. And this will be the default. Just turn those around, like let the thing grow. And if you want to use this, press a button and otherwise, you're going to keep using the editor until we get this thing sorted out. Why not go that way? That's the mystery behind the automatic business motive. And I think we talked about that last week. Clearly, $170 plus million dollars or more on the table or 307 total is a strong motivation to start like, hey, Squarespace is taking the lead on visual editing and blah, blah, blah. And we're losing market share, blah, blah, blah. Where's the return on our investment? Logical, yeah. yes. But against the nature of where this thing came from, you can't just excommunicate not just me, but everybody else that has an intelligent opinion. And by the way, I love his tools, his plugin, his background. Just he's so logical. But uh, Milan, am I saying his right name at the beginning? Milan Petrovic, right? Who's got the GD5 uh, and the GD series of plugins? Just he says it so like nonchalantly to the fact, and that's a great way to approach this, which is on a factual basis. What is going on? Yeah, um, it's a shame that Morton isn't here because he did. He's explained in in some ways. Before I put this over to John, this is slightly my spill about it. Is that in some ways this this isn't revolutionary enough? Because in previous discussions, we um, Morton really clearly put put it well that um, that it should have been taken as opportunity to step to modernize a lot of things and um, like the database, certain technical issues that have been going along and also um, having backward compatibility is a great thing, but you can also take it too far. And he felt it'd been, you know, it would, it would have been a good opportunity to say that it can't, you can't run this on some crazy old version of PHP. You got, you got to have modern hosting. You got to have a modern version of PHP. Well, I mean, Morton was suggesting also that we, you know, really kind of restructure the database and and how yeah. data was stored. And that you know, one of the reasons that the Drupal community is so uh, keen on on Gutenberg is that the way their data store is structured already matches really well with the block idea. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Thanks for that. But um, before I put it over to John, is the um, the other issue is about leadership, really. And being a CEO of a company is a difficult task because, you, you know, you've got to, you, 
you've got to know when it's time to really push something forward, even if it's going to upset a few people. But on the other hand, you also got to know when it's time to listen to people and change your position. So they're two very contradictory things, but to be a really effective CEO, I feel you've got to have both skills. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I agree with you, Jonathan. I don't know that Matt Mullenweg will be the CEO of Automatic in the next two years, but I don't know who's going to replace him either. Uh, This is really his company. And as Spencer so eloquently stated uh, from from the comments on the Tavern, this is not an open source project anymore. This is an automatic project. And you really, if you look at it from Automatic's perspective, the only places they're making money right now from WordPress and people say like, oh, 31% of the web, how much of that is .com and how much is .org? Because Automatic itself only makes money off .org through vectors like WooCommerce and Jetpack and VaultPress. So really the Gutenberg project is a means for .com to compete with Squarespace and Wix and Weebly. Unfortunately, it's way behind anything that's on the market and it's way behind everything that's a current page builder in WordPress now. But for whatever reason, they're pressing forward. Uh, A couple things that I saw online regarding this. Adrian Roselli said on his uh, Twitter account, um, oh, you know, yeah, uh, with a screenshot of, he's correct, the accessibility team should have been consulted more closely and earlier in the process and blah, blah, blah. And he said, damage done, people gone, ill will created. Saying you will address it after the release misses the point. And then um, I want to point out here in in the comments on the Tavern article, Amanda Rush, uh, somebody who actually <laughs> relies on, you know, yes, Amanda Rush, the blind web designer, which I think is totally awesome. She is totally, yeah. And it's like, first, it's absolutely possible to make React apps accessible right now. No innovation needed. Uh, secondly, before you can even talk about innovating when it comes to accessibility, you need to get the basics right. And that means learning HTML deeply, CSS deeply, learning accessibility fundamentals, and all that. So, you know, this is going to go forward no matter what. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see uh, all the people who use WordPress that don't know that Gutenberg's coming still. We'll, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, we'll just see. Right. I think, I think that was well put, actually, John. Thank you. I like the part about the... the, the I'm not... I always wondered what would happen, like if I, I mean, I already can't hear well, but if I lost my sight, God forbid, I always wonder what would happen. I find it inspirational that somebody can be a blind web developer. I think that's just incredible. Right. Like, I don't know how that's done, but I just, I'm amazed people's capacity to adapt is always inspirational to me. I mean, anyway. Uh, uh, (laughs) Classic press, just saying. Yeah, this is this is uh, this is just a bit of English humor. I, I think some of my sometimes I think some of my clients are blind to this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, um, there we go. Uh, um, so on to the next story. Um, some truth about WordPress speed images in WooCommerce. What did you think of this one, Spencer? What happened to fa- oh? We're not doing the false prophecy of big data. 
is what you're saying. No, because um, we had another story, but the actual the actual author of the story might be coming on the show next week. And Jonathan doesn't want to scare him off. Well, well, we could discuss it. Oh, let's go for it. All right. This, this, sorry, sorry, listeners. I, I, I mean, the one that I thought we no, could we discuss it twice, can't we? So we go. So number two, the false prophecy of big data. Off you go, Spencer. The only reason I thought it was interesting to bring up is because I read this morning a story that said there was a 10-year study about cell phone data and how dangerous it might be for people. <laughs> they said, sorry. We can't really use this 10-year study anymore because in 10 years, the technology went from 2G to 3G to 4 to uh, to 5. So the 10 years of studying 2G and 3G doesn't matter because those phones are only used in some forest in Bangalore now and nobody else uses it. So big data as a general rule, and it ties together with last week's, is when big data is used for political means or for scientific conclusions or for, you know, like turn it loose on an automatic basis. Remember, we were talking about how your ID could be falsely associated with a crime and so forth. As soon as people get out of the mix and everything is voice gel hell of, you know, press one to be released from prison, press two to see if this phone can hear you, press three to see if WordPress is better than Squarespace. Our lives become less fulfilling and meaningful. I think that ultimately all of this that our society is going through now is about the needle swinging back towards relationships with real people and human beings because, and I'm surprised we haven't had this on the show. I keep putting the video in the link. I want to talk about that Boston dynamics company that keeps making those robots that are dogs and cheetahs and people, and they (laughs) climb walls like spiders. Right. They're, They're totally cool and utterly terrifying. They're freaking me out because as soon as those things get paired together with big data and they're being instructed, go arrest Sarakana. I mean, I'm on the list. And so that's where the ultimate danger comes. Autonomous critters made out of metal with machine guns that are given instructions to arrest anybody at the border or in their house or whatever. That's the dystopian future I don't want to have. So I'd rather get back to, we need a person I think you're deluded. I think you're deluded yourselves, but I think the I don't know because I saw my, I saw Mad Max Thunderdome. Here, right, right. I saw I saw Mad Max Thunderdome, and I see what happens after. You know, it goes back to being like old Rome, and there's a guy who's in charge, and he's not a nice guy, but at least it's a small community of people with very sophisticated vehicles. That's there we go. The That's what he's looking forward to. Lovely. Um, well, before I throw it over to um, Sally, or let's throw it over to John, actually, um, is this is my take of what Dusty was saying in this article, folks, is he seemed to have two arg- two arguments. He had the um, f- philosophical kind of argument that um, it takes away free will, it takes away choice. It's another way of kind of crony capitalism. Um, but done on a scientific, it's kind of quasi-science, basically. And there's also a, a moralistic, theological um, standpoint uh, against big data. Then he throws in a bit uh, that attacks the premise of big data, um, basically, um, so fundamentally, um when you're dealing with very complicated structures, example he uses in the article is weather. 
and a lot of people use weather as an example, is that your predictions through technology can get better, but fundamentally you can get a, what um, is called a black swan weather event. You can get a black swan event economically that um, fundamentally that big data and observing patterns cannot take into account. Would you agree with some of the statements I've just made, John? And what did you think of the article? Yeah, he mentions chaos theory um, in the article as well, which, like you're referencing, there can be black swan events that you can't predict. I mean, some people, um, let's just come out and say it, like some people are more easily programmable than others um, and predictable. Uh, but th- there's always going to be things that are out of your hands. Um, I think big data, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, so, you know, where do we go from here? I, there probably should be some regulation of how data is collected and used against people. But because the tech sector is driving so much of our GDP, I don't think that's going to happen right now. I and mean, I'll remind Spencer of this too. Uh, Boston Dynamics with the big dog and all the uh, you know killer robots. They were owned by Google for for a while uh, before, they, before they sold them to SoftBank. So just a reminder: Google was in defense contracting for a minute there. Yeah, what? And that, it's all defense. Those robots are not being made for hospitals and like old mm-hmm. people's homes. They're being made to be autonomous. Yeah, yeah. Weapons. Killing machines. Yes. Killing machines. There you go. Do, isn't it? Great. Nobody um, watched the Terminator movies. I mean, seriously. Right, Sally. Um, I thought he was, you know, I know Dusty, um, I've known him for years, and he's a libertarian, but... Oh, yeah, think? He's core. But fundamentally, um, he seemed well-written, but it seemed... Um, there was something about it... I can't put my word on it. I was hoping you could for your clear analysation, there seemed to be some jumbled thinking in it. I wasn't, is that, am I on the right track? Or? Well, I think it's, it's, it's tackling a particular angle of things. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, I absolutely love the uh, title of the, the paper he was talking about, you know, this is white paper on the problem of big data an a priori epistemological approach to technological advancement. Because, like, dude, you're not a scholar or anything who doesn't have to talk to humans. <laughs> it rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it, I used to write like that when I was an academic. Um, but it is, you know, it, what he's talking about is is fairly specifically, um, you know, using big data to, to make uh, to make decisions, you know, to, to make decisions that impact millions of individuals that, that they don't know and to, uh, to try to control things. And I think, you know, there are plenty of good uses for uh, big data in terms of observing what's actually happening or what's happened in the past. The problem comes if you then say, well, we now have so much information about the past, we must be able to predict the future. And I'm sorry, does not work that way. You know, it's as a, as a predictive tool, you may get, you know, the same idea. Well, here's what, you know, there's a good chance this will happen, but we can't, we can't know for certain. And also that, you know, all right, well, machines can look for things. Uh, for patterns 
or for specific things in a massive amount of data in a way that humans can't because they can process more of it faster. But, you know, number one, the machines doing the looking are programmed by humans and therefore uh, subject to our biases. Um, and number two, uh, finding a pattern and understanding what it means are different things. Because, you know, if you've studied statistics at all, you know that correlation does not imply causation. And therefore, you may see a pattern and uh, in, attribute a cause, which is not the cause. Uh, and then, you know, your decisions are going to get pro progressively worse from there. So I, I think that, you know, the warning that just because we have a lot more information, uh, you know, this does not make us omniscient. This does not necessarily make us as humans any better at making certain kinds of decisions than we would otherwise. And, um, you know, the more information we have, the, the, the more potential for abuse. And, and I, you know, that's not specific to big data. We've, we've talked about it in reference to a bunch of other things is that, you know, knowledge is always a, a, a double-edged sword and um, uh, regulation tends to trail behind innovation and, and law is, is slow to catch up with things and does not know how to handle uh, certain issues. Uh, so, um, you know, I think he's accurate that you can't necessarily use, uh, you know, use this data to predict the future and that, you know, there, there will be people who want to uh, abuse it. Uh, and that's true of everything. And it's, a, it's something to keep an eye out for and not to just, uh, you know, we, we don't want to turn over our thought processes and say, oh, well, they have all this data. It must be right. Uh, and, and not question anything. Yeah, I thought that's a fantastic synopsis of, of the piece, actually. Um, I just want to go and talk about one of my sponsors, one of my great sponsors. Their support is much appreciated. Um, and that's Kinster Hosting. And Kinster Hosting are just fantastic. I host the WP Tonic website with Kinster. Been really happy. They agreed to be a sponsor in 2019, which is much appreciated. And what do you get with Kinster? You get really cloud-based, Google-based cloud hosting with a with a great interface, with great technical support. So you get three wins in one hosting company, basically the best technology, the best support with a great interface. You get um, one-click staging, um, you get one-click backup, um, you get the latest versions of PHP. If you're a consultant, a developer with clients looking for a great hosting provider, go to Kinsta. You're not going to be disappointed. Um, like I say, we really appreciate the support. Go to kinsta.com, look at what they've got to offer. You're going to be blown away. We're going to go for it. I'm going to add one more thing about Kinsta here. Yeah. Uh, one thing that, that they have that other people don't is a lot of places they have PHP 7. They actually PHP 7.1, 7.2, and right now they have the release candidate for PHP 7.3, which means your sites are going to run fast. 
That's a great. Thank you so much, John. That that is because you, you don't get those options with a lot of hosting providers. You really have a lot of flexibility, and like I say, their technical support. Um, that's the great thing you're getting from Kinster. You're getting um, twenty four seven support and really good support when it's necessary. So um, we're going to go for our break, folks, and we'll be back and we'll be delving in some more stories. Be back in a few seconds, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's WP Tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've talked about the drones, the machines that are going to come and hunt us down, and all that. Fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? Such a light chat. chat. Uh, um, there we go. Uh, um, on to something more uh, nice and probably back, back to WordPress. Some truths about WordPress speed images uh, in WooCommerce. What did you think of this one, Spencer? Well, I want to. I think that the reason I like this is because it came from, I think, a WordCamp. And the way it's written and also published with all those colors gives me the impression it was done like a ransom note or one of those long form sales letters. So I don't know if that was on purpose and it's funny or just because somebody grabbed it from the WordCast camp notes, but it has a big effect on it because the, the point is dead on. It's spot on. And I can say the point in two seconds, but the fact that it took like this ransom note format to get to the point, which is don't use plugins to fix ridiculously large images and other crap that you put inside of your site, because basically that's what's the problem. And don't use your server to fix the stuff. Just fix the stuff before you upload it. <laughs> but you had to read through this like Joe Sugarman, 1984 blue blocker sunglasses ad type of a thing to get to the point, which was amusing because the, the pictures are hilarious. And thankfully he clarifies that he, the guy in the picture is actually being nice to the cow or the bull. Not, <laughs> it's not like a hunter picture, but if you look at that picture, it looks like he killed the bull, but he actually, I think he's like hanging out with it, but that's the point. The point is valid. It is that I'd say nine out of 10 times when we have a client who does not have something like smush it or E W W And by the way, the second is one of my favorite or least favorite plugin names or company names of all time. Like who came up with E-W-W-W-W-W-W-W? Ew. Those two plugins are the most often necessary to fix what people do not understand. They do not understand dimensions, resolution, and pixel density. And as a result, they take a picture right out of their camera, which today is like 400 megapixel, and it's like five to 10 megabytes and they just plop it right up there on their homepage with 10 other ones. And I had a client who was a very intelligent businessman literally two days ago. I went and looked at his homepage, <laughs> still managed a pingdom score of a C plus, which I don't even know, took only 14 seconds to load, but it was 29 megabytes, 29 megabytes of images on the homepage. So there is a need for this in our system of like we started the show. 
why not inside of WordPress, should it not have some feature that says, um, hello, you are not allowed to upload a six megabyte picture here. Um, hello, you don't need 3840 by 2600 of pixel you know, of dimensions on this image because your screen will never be, you know, okay. Well, sometimes you point. do, depending if they're going to view it on a, you know, I've had some clients say, well, my head's been cut off. The CEO, the CEO of this company's head's been cut off. Then you learn it's on a 64-inch plus monitor, you know, or something. Um, <laughs> well, that's, I think that's where the first point comes in, where, where he talks about fixed width, which is, I think, not uh, what he means. What he means is you want your website to have a maximum width. Yeah. So that you never need an image larger than that. And if you, I mean, my husband has a a 27 inch 4K screen in the bedroom. Um, And uh, for for his computer. And let me tell you, he never runs his browser full width because WTF, why would you do that? Well, you know, something. I think it's pretty unlikely. Um, that anybody it actually wants to see a website, you know, wider than 1920. Uh, you can't read it anyway, Sally, because, well, right, because I have right, a 4K 43-inch, and if the thing is any wider than this, the font gets so small, and it's in one line, and your brain cannot, you'd be yeah, like no, reading no, like, no, it doesn't it's about the CEO head not being cut off. That's right. And so this is. is right. But this is the thing. If you have a max width, then you know that you know the the, the guy's head is not going to be cut off on large screens. And you have, we matters. already have the you know what paying the bills. So that's what matters. Right. Um, but so you know, yes, you want to you know you want to have a maximum width, uh, uh, and then when you figure out what it is, you know that even your hero images. Um, don't have to, you know, don't have to be, should not be any larger than that. And uh, <clears throat> then, you know, I usually set my large image size to be the content width of the, you know, again, the kind of the max content width of, of the post. <clears throat> and 1280 is more than anybody needs unless you're using the graphic for some unusual purpose that people have to read the words. Otherwise, doesn't matter what you're on. Like literally, I personally will take a stand on this. You do not need 1920. You need a max. You probably don't. It 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 will, you know, there will be cases, but it's it's very rare. So yeah, you know, it is a good idea. I mean, when I'm building a site, of course, I do all the sizing and the, the compressing of, of, of things ahead of time, but then people are going to be adding stuff, and this is why. It is useful to install something. I usually use Imagify, uh, <clears throat> where you can both say, um, you know, make sure that no image, you know, the chop the full size image down to these dimensions, compress everything, ditch the, you know, the original, you know, 15 megabyte file because we don't need that, uh, and and so forth. Uh, you don't actually want to use the free uh, EWWW plugin because it's hard on, on your server resources. Uh, you want to use the cloud version or something else that has a, a, a cloud compression uh, Tiny PNG. tool. Uh, and, you know, there are plenty of those where you'll get enough on a free plan to 
to handle it. And so that will help deal with the fact that your clients, um, you know, often cannot be, they, they don't have time, they don't have skill, they don't have software, whatever it is, uh, but they're going to go right ahead on uploading stuff straight from their yeah. um, phone cameras. I've got kind of um, two reactions. I totally understand where Spencer's coming from. Um, but um, with our clients, we do put on um, uh, a service called Short Pixel, and I, I've been with them for a while, and I just love them. But we we put that on, and we we put it on to deal with the past, to try and help with the past mistakes. And then um, I agree with both you and Sally, that then we try and educate the client not, to upload ridiculously large images and then use them on their website, um, um, then we try and do some, build some confidence with the client and build some. So we tend to use Short Pixel as a as a quick fix to deal with some of the previous uh, mistakes. And um, and then obviously it's on the home page. We go in and we sort that individually. Um, I think I do agree with you. This idea of using just you know a plugin and it will just sort everything out is delusionary, and is a a mistake. You know, a bad idea. But as as a as a kind of secondary defence, um, it probably has some place. What do you reckon, John? Or do you reckon I'm waffling and I'm wrong? No, um, you're correct. A lot of, you know, a lot of people's perception of WordPress is there's a plugin for everything and, and the plugin's going to do all the work and they don't need to like put any thought process into anything because somebody built a plugin. Um, what I really like about this article, you guys have all summed it up really great, but what I love about this article is the way that it's written, it has a unique voice. It's got a point of view. It's written in a certain tone. Like the guy's like, why are you doing this? You're, you know, why would you ever do this? And like Spencer said, like a ransom note style, it just adds to it. It makes it memorable. Um, To me, it's a lot of practical advice about running an e-commerce store. You don't need, you know, 3,000 by 4,000 images. Um, You're trying to get speed, speed, speed. You want that to load fast. Um, you know, speed is conversions in e-commerce. That's what you're going for. So, a lot of good yeah. stuff. Especially mobile, isn't it? You know, okay. um, talk about the death of a mobile experience by a thousand cuts. Let's keep yep. uploading those six megabytes. No, it's, yes, it's, it's not by a thousand cuts. It's by 10,000 pixels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's about right. Right, on to the next story. Um, the future of SEO is a strong brand. Uh, what do you wrote this one? Would you like to start off this one, John, on why you wrote it? Yeah, definitely. So this is um, this is an article I wrote. Um, you know, thanks for featuring it. The the basic the point of this is ten years ago, the then CEO of Google, Eric Schmidt, said brands are not the problem to sorting out. You know what should rank above. Uh, you know, how we rank stuff. Brands are the solution. It's how we, you know, sort out the cesspool. There's so much information that's being published every day. I think it's like every couple years, there's more content published than was published in the first 10,000 years of human history. So Google's job is to sort all this out and make everything rank in a certain way. 
And what I, here's a problem that I see a lot of small businesses or growing businesses have that maybe they don't have a dedicated person for marketing or they don't have a marketing department. They don't understand that content and having a unique brand voice and building a brand and not just, you know, putting a shingle out on your door and being heads down in your work all day long. You got to build your brand through, you know, a digital means. Yellow pages are dead. Um, you, you can't just be heads down and stuff. And I had somebody actually asked me this at uh, another meetup that I was speaking at and they said, well, how do you run your business and find time to, you know, publish content? And it's really simple. You have to schedule time, whether it's, whether you prioritize it or not. And the thing of it is, is every brand out there has a unique story. Every ownership or founding team they have a unique story of why they founded their, their company, who they're doing it for, and all the knowledge that they've accumulated throughout the years. So putting that on your website, putting that out on your social media, and helping people become a better version of themselves is what's going to build awareness of your brand and bring in customers and make Google say, hmm, you know, they're teaching people all about they're the thing that they specialize in. Maybe we should rank them higher. So yeah, my my position on this is is in the middle between you, John, and Spencer. You're kind of the, the you're you're kind of twins separated by birth. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, um, Spencer's got a very um, different view of this, and but my position is in the middle. I, I think um, I I see some of the points that Spencer makes. And I see some of the points you make, and I try and apply them because I feel the positions in the middle. But this gives Spencer. Um, what do you think? First of all, Spencer, um, this is probably a ridiculous question, unanswerable. But have a quick go at it. What is a brand? What is a brand in two thousand eighteen now, where you got a B and websites? And what? What? What is a brand? Yeah, go on. Well, let me start by saying, first of all, the author of the story was brilliant. I agree with him <laughs> whole. Uh, I agree, actually. And I don't think John and I ever were at odds on this point. The point I had made in the past, which he very eloquently here corroborates, is it is not enough to simply spray and pray and hope that SEO will win the day. Oh, I just made a poem, too. I like what that. Yeah. Right. But... In the real world, answering your question about what is a brand, I think that also ties together nicely. Everything in the history of selling in humankind has been about somebody has a pain point. Somebody else recognizes that pain point and offers to solve it in return for something else. Could be physical, could be monetary, could be a favor, could be love, but that's it. That's what this whole thing is about. We just happen to be in the digital version of it. Soon we'll be in the robotic dogs banging at the door and what can we give them to not kill us? But it's still the same transaction. Somebody has a pain. Somebody, an entrepreneur, offers to create a solution to solve that pain in exchange for something valuable to the entrepreneur. In that context, Google came along and said, hey, we have this really great way to matchmake everybody. 
That's all it is. That's all SEO is. It is how can this entrepreneur find, or sorry, how can this person in pain find this entrepreneur who already has a pre-made solution? So branding is about identifying what are the attributes that you have as an entrepreneur that differentiate you once you're found. And I have found time and time and time again that the people who succeed get into the heads of the customers and make those customers feel intuitively like they're dealing with a friend, like they're dealing with a personal relationship, like they're dealing with somebody who cares because that's what makes a good friendship. That's what makes a good marriage. That what makes a good parent, a dog owner, a cat owner, whatever. It's when you feel that that person really cares about you individually, even if it's not true, the impression that you get is that they do. And so that's what branding does is it makes you feel that a company that produces, you know, 16 scoops of sugar with some artificial coloring and bubbles is the best company in the world, Coca-Cola, right? Or go down the list. That's what it is. And that's what I think it needs to be for a freelancer. That's what it needs to be for a large company. Really makes no difference. Politicians, we see time and time again, win the day when they make people believe that they are their family. And then only when proven when they're not, did the people get the thumb in the eye. Same with brands. Facebook's mud on the face right now is a direct result of, oh, this is going to be so great. We're all going to love each other and all my friends are online. And then you realize that they sold you downriver and the consequences are severe. Say, love you. Yeah, I thought it was a good point. What do you reckon, Sally? Um, you know, I think it's true that, that SEO is, you know, we're a long way from the day when you could, you know, toss a few uh, uh, meta keywords in uh, or, uh, you know, put, put some invisible text with a celebrity's name on, on your page or, or, you know, stupid tricks. And if you rely on uh, SEO, uh, then... Uh, yeah, it's going to be important to either you have to schedule the time to do it or you have to hire somebody who can do it, um, you know, and uh, and put good content out there. Because as, as Christopher S. Ben likes to say that, you know, the real secret to SEO is be relevant. Um, and if you don't have good uh, content, then no... Uh, trick, you know, no tool, no plugin, uh, no, uh, you know, your your technical structure of your website could be, uh, you know, perfect and search engine friendly, but if your content is crap, none of that is going to help. Now, you know, for some people, most of their customers don't come via search or, or directly from their, their website, and it may not be as important to them uh, to maintain a regular publishing schedule, but you, you're going to have to do, you know, you get your customers from somewhere, so you're going to have to put work in somehow to build your business, uh, whether that's because you do, you know, live networking or uh, public speaking or, or any of these other things. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to put the time in somewhere. It's pretty much impossible for a one-person business to put the time in everywhere, at least not all at once. And you're going to kind of have to, you know, you have to take a look at it and see, well, where, you know, where do my best clients or customers come from? That's probably the channel I should uh, concentrate on. 
I think you got the key there, Sally. It's really under, uh, it's becoming in two oh eighteen. It became it's become more and more obvious to me. Maybe I'm a slow learner. <laughs> but you know, really- I, I, I will say I want to just add. I'm very happily dating somebody now, but I've been a single guy for a while. I've been divorced a long time, and I've dated as an adult past the age of caring about having kids and stuff. And I want to tell you that finding dates. It's very easy with the tools. You can use Bumble or Tinder or whatever the heck you want to use, match.com. But when you find the person and you meet them in real life, that's branding. Okay? <laughs> SEO is using the swipe right, swipe left. Branding and customer building is when you meet for coffee in real life and the shit hits the fan. If you don't look like you don't talk like a person that wants to be in a relationship and so forth. And same. You could spend a billion dollars getting people to come to your webpage, and if you've got toilet paper on your shoe or you look like an a-hole, you're not going to sell anything anyway. That's the bottom line. And so John and I agree because John deals with bringing people to your page, and I deal with from the top of your page, the sales funnel down. And so we're actually very cohabitating because brothers from another mother because he brings them to the page and I say when they get there you damn well better match up with what you say in your SEO because that's where where my dating's been going wrong having that toilet paper on my shoes see Spencer best tuxedo in the world isn't going to fix a big string that's where I've been going wrong isn't it on to the next story Uh, um, (laughs) less ad lib from me Uh, um, right Uh, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I put this one in. It, I didn't think much of the article, but I actually liked the title: um, "How to Stay Focused While Working from Home." Um, more and more people are working from home. It sounds fantastic, <laughs> you know. Don't have that commute, but there could be some problems, can't there, Spencer? Got any insight about how you? I, I'm going to write. I'm going to write a counter. I want to write a counter to this. One. <laughs> I want to write. How do normal people today work in an office? Because <laughs> I have actually I was a trial attorney, don't say, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I had to get in my suit and get on the train and go downtown and, da, 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 and be in a court all day. So much wasted time. So much, this is pre-internet, so much wasted energy. Like five hours a day was on all the BS. Okay. Since... All my other careers have been independent, either construction or in tech and everything else. I've always maintained an office where I want. And I got to tell you, my friends and people who still have to get dressed up, they just cry to me every day about how much time is wasted in their lives. And they have kids, they have relationships, they have so many things. So for me, the story is simple. You definitely need a routine. You definitely have to have habits. You definitely have to find, and we see here every day, we're all finding our place, by the way. Hello, kitchen. Hello, entrance to my house. It's like, it doesn't matter. Nobody gives a crap if you're the CEO of a billion-dollar company and you're showing up in your living room or if you're in some fancy-schmancy place. Everybody who's doing stuff wants to be efficient and real. And I think it looks even better for you if you show up in a way that means, hey, I can talk to more people during my day because I get up in the morning as I do, make breakfast for the kids, make lunch, send them off, drive them off. Okay, now my day starts. I exercise. Now I come back. Now I do, today is the show. Blah, blah, blah. Next, I do this. If I want to take a nap, I take a nap. If I want to have a great lunch, my kitchen's right here. If I want to meet a client, I go out. Having routine, having something that works, and most importantly, absolutely. For those have to be, who have to be deprogrammed from the old real world, the number one thing they have to get used to is, I'm on 
alone, all by myself. Well, guess what? It gets better. In fact, it gets awesome because you realize, hello, there's a million people out there that I, I can have a conversation with all day long and I'm not wearing pants right now. I just want you guys all to know. And it doesn't make I a just difference. need to know that bit. The yeah, rest I, of it I is thought it might be TMI. You guys will never know, but we can have an intelligent conversation. I can do business all day long, and I didn't get on a trip. So that's my take. It's a great article for those to be towing in, but for those who really just want to know what the story ending is, it's really simple. I can't imagine how the future is going to involve people commuting to a work center because if we have, you know, flying hovercrafts and all these things, great. But like being physically present is almost never necessary. I mean, unless you're really doing something important. Uh, well, there, I mean, there are jobs that require that you be there in person. But, you know, I of live. Of course. I mean, you got to run a, the bank. I, I live you in know, a small like suburb um, where, you know, we have 35,000 people, 38,000 people and roughly 3,000 jobs. And everyone you know, that doesn't work from home or doesn't have a, a job in the town has to commute. And there's like one route out of town and it is hellacious and it takes hours and hours for, and you think what a waste. And for a lot of these people, their jobs don't really require that they be there in person. Now, you know, it might be that if you are a salesperson in a boutique clothing store uh, you want to be there physically to help people select stuff and help, you know, there are jobs where you ought to be there physically, Absolutely. but there are a whole lot of jobs where you really don't need to. And if they did, you know, distribution of the workforce, you know, people would save money on gas. There would be less pollution. There would be less crowding. Uh, but, you know, uh, working from home is, I yeah, a, concentrating is not usually my issue. It was very challenging the first mm-hmm. uh, a year or so after I got married because my husband will just walk in the in, into my room and assume that you know I am available to hear whatever is on his mind. Um, he's, he's, he's really great words of wisdom which you don't really need to hear, even though well, you know, theory. But you well, don't. Uh, you know the 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 the, the word for word repetition of the phone conversation that I just heard because he's <laughs> partially deaf and has a very loud voice, um, and <laughs> you know, and some people have you know small kids at home or or you know there are interruptions that they don't have in their office. For other people, uh, their office has more interruptions. Um, but, you know, more and more cities have co-working spaces where if your actual home is not a great place for you to work, you can go someplace to work without having to, you know, commute for hours. Uh, even in Oakley, uh, they're working on putting together like a, a co-working space. Um, uh, this is helpful for people. It's, they're often helpful for people who are used to being in an environment where there are other folks around. Um, I am really better off without other folks around because I have um, I have trouble handling interruptions. I, I keeping my focus on 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 one thing, um, you know what I could do as a graduate student in an office with a bunch of other graduate students, you know, holding office hours and talking to to eh, my own students coming in is is I can't really do that. Uh, today i i need it to actually be well, i can't even listen to music when i work um but yeah it's the the issue i think for most people is not 
how do I handle interruptions and distractions, but how do I handle, oh, it's really quiet in here. Um, and, you know, it's not for everybody, but yeah, I think, you know, we really need to see a much bigger uh, move toward people not having to go into an office if there's nothing that really requires them to be physically present. That's great. John, just to wrap it up um, before we end the show, is um, how do you deal with the balance of being available for, you know, hopefully new clients, being available for existing clients, and then actually getting something done? Uh, got any tips and insights about how you deal with those contradictory requirements? That's a great question. Um, so I, it's really weird because I was in another Slack channel and they were having this conversation about, you know, how do you, um, do you, you know, schedule calls with clients? Uh, oh, I, you know, I only take calls like, you know, uh, two days a week or something like that. And that's a pretty common thing, I, I, I guess. It's like a little weird to me. Um, I'm available for my clients if they email or call. I'll check my email a few times a day. If they call, I'll pick up the phone. Um, I basically map out each, I map out my week. I, and um, I say like, you know, it, this day I'm going to do like three things. So it's usually like, you know, three client projects or, you know, maybe one thing for me um, each day. And I kind of get through that list and it, I kind of just have that time built in to where if I need to, you know, hop on the phone with clients uh, then I can, because a lot of the people that I support, if they have a question, it's something that they need answered that day. Uh, you know, I have an e-commerce client that I support. They're going to do 500 grand through their <laughs> website this year. And, you know, if they have something that needs to be fixed, I can't schedule it out like, you know, three days. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so I just build in that time to where I can take care of my clients and give them good customer service. And I don't try and make each day just about doing web development or writing content or building links or doing an SEO audit. I just give myself enough time. That's so. great. Well, right, thanks for that, John. We're going to wrap up the show now, folks. So it's like I say, Join us again next week. Join us live. You can watch it on the, the WP Tonic Facebook page. We push it at 8 30, around 8 30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we can watch it live or give us some feedback about the topics. Maybe give us some ideas of some stuff you would like us to discuss during the show. That would be great. Um, Sally, how can people find you and um, learn more about what you're up to? You can find me at wpfangirl.com. You can find the meetup at eastbaywp.com. I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And if you can spell my name, you will find me. I am unique in Google. And John, how can people find out more about you and your words of wisdom? You can find me at my website, which is lockdownseo.com. Also, go to YouTube, Google hashtag, uh, or <laughs> search hashtag lockdownseo. Subscribe to my channel. I'm putting out videos once a week with SEO tips. All right. And Spencer, how can they find out more about you and your fascination with deaf robots? Spencer? Yeah, I'm spending the rest of the week building defensive measures against Boston Dynamics. And when I'm not, I will be at WPLaunchify.com, usually without pants on, 
taking phone calls or help at WPLaunchify.com. Anybody who really needs help with their WordPress membership site and marketing automation. That's great. Welcome to talk from the waist up. That's great. Um, we'll see you. I've got nothing more to say after that. Um, uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Where hopefully we'll have another great panel show. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.